Hey, welcome back to Joko Yo. Um, it's uh, if you've been listening, you know it's a podcast that talks about all kinds of things, Johnston County and Central North Carolina, and you know all that jazz. And today promises to be somewhat of an explosive one, actually, and quite literally, because today we're talking about sometimes that. Charleston County, while it does benefit from being on a um, transportation or several transportation arteries, that's good. Brings in money. Brings in ideas. It's fantastic. Also, yeah, so like not so good. So, I'm going to give you three events and all of which sort of illustrate what I'm talking about. And this is more recent history. Um, I'm going to give you, you may have heard of a couple of them. We'll see. So, I'll give you the date. March 7, 1942. (laughs) How dramatic. Well, okay, you know Johnston County has a bunch of little communities here and there that don't really have names to them. You know, people that live there have names, you know, have names for them, but, you know. Um, I'll give you some, like Meadow. Like, if you know where Meadow is, you know where Meadow is. If you don't know where Meadow is, then you're like, what, what is this place? Because, you know, there's no, there's no sign that says, welcome to Meadow. It doesn't, because it's not a town. I mean, it exists, but it's not really exists. Um, Meadow's sort of, like, mythical. Like, you know when you're there. When you're, and Cleveland's the same way. Like, Cleveland, where, where, where is that exactly? Um, you, uh, Crocker's Nub. Crocker's up over there in the northeastern corner of the county. Um, you kind of know where you are, if you know where you are, if you catch my drift. Um, Broad Slab. Broad Slab is one of those older, more um, more well-known ones because of uh, because of the legal um, uh, alcohol producers and the illegal ones that preceded it. So, Charleston's got a bunch of communities that are communities, but they ain't communities. I mean, they're communities, but they're not, you know, they're not real. Well... There are some that have been around for a long time. Some that have got absorbed. Smithfield has absorbed several of those little communities. Uh, Benson has absorbed a couple of them. Clayton has absorbed a couple of communities, too, that used to be their own little thing. And then as the, as the town grew, just sort of absorbed. Raleigh is like crazy for it. Like, I don't know if people know, but Millbrook used to be a community, you know, and Crabtree used to be a community. Now it's just Raleigh. Anyway. Some still exist, some don't. Well, on the 7th of March, 1942, is when there was a community, and then in one night, it was no longer in existence. Like, it completely went from there to not there. And the community was called Catch Me Eye. I mean, at the Catch Me Eye, uh, and you can actually go to it now, but the community that was there is gone. Uh, there was a tavern, hotel, gas station, you know, service station. And it was at the corner of modern day 301 and Highway 70. It's, you know, it's one of the, it was, it was a pretty dependable stop on the way from north to south on the east coast. And, and it, it got, again, lots of travelers would stop in just because it's a place to stop, you know, it's before I-95. And so it took you a while to get some place to place. And it also was on a um, major east-west route going from the Atlantic Ocean all the way out. So at this 301-70 intersection, again, pre-95, catch me eye. 
So, regular day. Now, given 1942, it's just a few weeks, um, just really three months after Pearl Harbor had been bombed, so we were still sort of fresh into World War II, not really quite knowing exactly where it's going to turn out. But three months after Pearl Harbor, 1.30 a.m., there's a truck going to Fort Bragg. 1.30 a.m., it stops the way it's supposed to, and the car behind them was apparently not paying much attention and rear-ended that truck. Shouldn't be a big deal. There are accidents all the time, except this truck uh, has 30,000 pounds of explosives. Now it gets to be real. And so this car rear-ended the truck, and people get out, of course, kind of freaking out a little bit. And when the police were called, when the sheriffs were called uh, to the area, of course, people, like, again, it has to be dispatched in, too. People come around and, like, try to, when they realize what it is, like, try to get the people, stand back, get out of the way, move out of the way. Oh, no, how do we stop this? So, 1.30 a.m., the traffic is stopped. No one can get around. You have there, there, there are reports of people like regular citizens that that heard the wreck. Again, sirens and whatnot stopping traffic, trying to reroute traffic. Common citizens for for about an hour and twenty minutes because you don't know what to do with thirty thousand pounds of explosive. What's going to happen? Hour and twenty minutes go by, and at two fifty-seven a.m. The thing decides that it's going to blow. It does. That 30,000 pounds of explosives goes up. Kablooey. The explosion was so large that it caused a roughly 30 foot deep crater in the middle of the road. About 75 to 100 feet wide. Pieces of truck were found over a mile away. Some pieces of the car that rear-ended it, and other pieces, 2.5 miles away. Like I said, there was a tavern, hotel, gas station, gone. Like, don't exist. The explosion was so big. It was so big that, well, I'll put it this way. There was a car that was trying to pass the wreck at 2.57 a.m. Despite being told to stay away by police and firemen, car tried to pass carrying two passengers. One was supervisor for a CCC camp. That car and the, and the occupants had to be right beside the truck when it, when it lit. And they... From the records I saw, they were there, and then they weren't. It was such a big deal. And now, again, it's 2.57 a.m. when the explosion happened. Six people dead, 50 injured in the middle of the night. There was a person that was standing a half mile away. Y'all, think about that for a minute. A dude was standing a half a mile away, and debris struck him. He was seriously injured, had to go to the hospital. 
Windows were shattered three miles away in Smithfield and in Selma, including Edgerton Memorial Methodist Church in Selma. The Selma Cotton Mill, all of its windows shattered. How big was the bomb? How big was the explosion? People were calling in to their police stations and fire stations concerned. They heard a boom. They heard an explosion. Didn't know what was happening. People were calling in convinced that they were under attack by the Germans or Japanese. Not just in Selma, not just in Smithfield, but in West Raleigh. The blast was heard 40 miles away. That's a big boom. In fact, it was big enough boom that July 20th of 1945, three years later, Selma Town, Town Hall, it was a multi-story building. Well, apparently the blast was so big that the support structure over the second floor auditorium collapsed because the pillars had been weakened by the Catch Me Eye explosion. For days, people were convinced that the Germans had conducted an air raid, or the Japanese. 200,000 people visited the site over the next two days to see what they were convinced was one of the first attacks, or the, one of the first attacks on the United States. That was big. You may have heard of that one. Yep, that happened here in Charleston County. So you may have heard of that one. Have you heard of this one? July 8, 1942, just a couple months later. Recorded by the News Observer, an airplane, a, a, a bomber, a United States bomber, crashed in a cornfield on the way to the same destination. A bomber crashed in a cornfield near Smithfield. It was, uh, the cornfield was owned by a guy named Jasper Beasley. There was a storm. It flew into the storm despite being told not to. Twin engine caught fire in flight and exploded as it crashed. All nine aboard were killed. It was roughly one mile south of Wilson's Mills. And as it burned, bullets exploded and streaked through the air. And had it been in a, in a residential area or a town, that would have been pretty doggone bad as well. Again, it's on the right route, so therefore. Or how about this one? And this one I want to use specific names, specific titles and words of what these things actually are. Because my nephew Noah, who likes to listen to this, likes to have um, likes to know the military stuff. So, so 1961, it's about 20 miles or so uh, east of Princeton. Just outside of a little place called Faro, F-A-R-O. It's north of Goldsboro, just south of Eureka. I've been there. 23rd of January was a B-52 Stratofortress carrying two four-megaton Mark 39 nuclear bombs. You know, well, you know, it also carries a little transportation path. It broke up in midair. Apparently, there was something wrong with the fuselage. It takes off out of a... Uh, uh, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. It loses pounds of fuel. It's told to come back around, turn back around and land real fast. And so uh, as it tries to, the Strata Fortress breaks up in midair and drops both of its nuclear bombs. Four megaton. Well, the plane crashes, of course, 
five, I'm sorry, three of the men on board died. And it was completely a secret until 2013 when it was declassified. It was rumored, of course, people that lived there, but but it was it was actually declassified in 2013. When this plane crashed, the wreckage stretched over two full miles, and the bombs, of course, they dropped. So what happened to the bombs? Well. One's going to come down, of course, going to fall because uh, it's it detached from its plane. And the parachute deploys and it lands in a tree in a swamp. Okay. Here's the thing about that one. Is that, of course, when you have a plane that's, that's breaking up and is carrying two nuclear weapons, you're going to send out the Army Corps of Engineers pretty quickly. Really quickly because this could be a pretty bad disaster. When the Army Corps of Engineers shows up, they find that one bomb is in the tree and three of the four firing mechanisms that are required to go off, that are required to activate in order for a nuclear weapon to detonate, three of the four firing mechanisms had actually activated when it fell from the plane. Close call, right? Okay. So they retrieve it. What about the second? That's a little bit harder. A little bit harder. They look. They look a lot. Try to find that thing. Geiger counters and all kinds of stuff. The Army Corps of Engineers, again, they're looking, and they finally find the other one. It is in a swamp. The second one had hit and plunged into a swamp at 700 miles per hour. That hit that swamp so hard that they did not find it. They couldn't see it. They didn't see it. It had plunged itself 180 feet down. Now, this second one, they dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and finally find it. They finally get to it, but they, they're having difficulty with it because every time they dig a hole in the swamp, it's going to fill up with water. So when they finally discover it, you know, sense of relief, except the the man that finally finds it says, good, good news, uh, uh-oh, actually not bad news, because when it was discovered, it was fully armed. All of the four firing mechanisms had activated. How did it explode? Nobody knows. So they could not retrieve the thing. It was too far down. So what they did try to do, what they ended up doing, is that they did remove some of the radioactive equipment so that if we can't get the whole bomb, but can keep it from going off. The Army Corps of Engineers purchased 400 feet circular easement over where it part of it was buried. They still retain that to this day. Found out from Bob McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense at the time, in the official report, that one simple technology, a low-voltage switch, kept it from detonating. Bob McNamara himself said straight up, it was the slightest margin of failure, literally the failure of two wires to cross. Apparently the impact somehow kept those wires from making contact. They removed 
again, what they could, uranium, on the other hand, is still down there. 180 feet deep. It's still down there. Just kind of put it into real terms about these two nuclear bombs. Each one of those was 250 times as much explosive power as Hiroshima. Had one of them detonated, now I actually, you can actually go online and check out a, a nuclear map just to, just for, I guess, giggles or horrors, whichever way you want to see, and run in, um, you can run up some uh, hypothetical scenarios. I actually did that on this. So, had one of them detonated, fallout, deadly fallout, would have fallen as far, because of the way the wind was on that day, deadly fallout would have fallen in D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York City. Third degree burns would have happened to everyone on the Johnston, Wilson, Wayne County lines. Everyone in Kenley would have gotten second-degree burns, same as Princeton. So, just to put one more thing in perspective. So, I actually learned this in, in doing this research, that radiation is measured partly in things called RADs. Okay, so just to put this in perspective, 400 RADs will kill 50% of, of humans that have been exposed. Generally, take 100 people, 50 pe expose them to 400 rads, 50 of them will probably die. This blast would have produced 100 rads per hour as far north as Fe Fredericksburg, Virginia. It would have produced 1,000 rads per hour to Petersburg, Virginia. Y'all, <laughs> we're dead in Johnston County. It would have been a major, major catastrophe. Just because of a sheer, complete mystery of why it didn't happen. And so, what we have here, going back to Catch Me Eye, and all of it going back to Johnston and its, and, and the surrounding counties, and their proximity to, to, to travel routes, transportation routes catch me on explosion it was real bad that actually went off could have been worse but it was real bad the situation with the with the plane that went down the cornfield in Jasper Beasley's cornfield that could have been real bad too but luckily it was just in a cornfield the last one with the two nuclear bombs going off right here at the Johnston line, that would have been incredibly bad. Did happen. Johnston on its, on its transportation routes that it uses to survive very well could have gotten it killed at least three times. Okay. And so there's that. And I... I don't know if you enjoy it or not, but it's, it's like, it makes you think, like, well, I say, what? Anyway, so that's the end of that one. Uh, some more coming up soon. Uh, there's a podcast I'm trying to work out, a uh, really, really big event I'm trying to work out in the next, um, I don't know when it's going to be, but I'm trying to, you, you'll know when it happens. Anyway, we'll keep going, keep the podcast going. I hope you keep listening. I uh, hope you enjoy it. 
Um, as well, always make sure you send me any kind of questions or or links or comments. I'd love to take them. And uh, y'all, it's been a it's been a blast. <laughs> Pardon the pun, um, but I uh, will talk to you later. Thanks, man. Bye.